From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. Pregnant women who are hesitant around taking certain prescription drugs or indeed getting vaccinated against a number of infectious diseases isn't really a new problem in healthcare. With women already having to keep up with health information, telling them how to look after their health in pregnancy, what foods they can and can't consume, it's no wonder that they might have a few questions for their health provider about the safety profile of a relatively new vaccine. But in protecting pregnant women against COVID, we know that vaccines are currently the safest and most effective option these patients have available to them. This episode, we're joined by Dr. Talat Appel, an obstetrician and gynaecologist and clinical senior lecturer at the University of Sydney, to talk about navigating these conversations about vaccination with expectant mothers and women who are planning to become pregnant in the short to medium term. Talat, welcome to the Tea Room. Thank you so much, Francine. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. So I would imagine that discussions around routine vaccines, such as flu and whooping cough, is already something that you were discussing with women if they were planning on becoming pregnant in the short term. Exactly. What was the experience of acceptance with these kinds of chats? And Mm -hmm. did the nature of these discussions change with patients as the COVID vaccination started coming on the scene? I think that's an excellent um, question, Francine. Women typically obviously have a certain degree of anxiety during pregnancy, like you mentioned, with especially with newer or what they might perceive with, um, you know, products that may not have long-term data. But um, it is a space that we're quite comfortable in discussing with um, women because they, like, you rightly said, the vaccination for both pertussis and influenza have been there for ages. And influenza is recommended any time during pregnancy, pertussis, particularly in the third trimester from 28 weeks onwards. Um, so we are used to handling those questions and encouraging women to consider the benefits for the baby because the whole purpose of the vaccination is to actually empower mums with the antibody response but also to provide the antibodies which then cross the placenta and then go to the baby and advantage the baby after birth. And in my experience, Francine, I think women are very much advocates for their unborn and afterwards the neonates they're constantly thinking through the lens of the baby and and what I think as clinicians we need to do whilst obviously supporting the philosophies of the patient and supporting their risk benefit individual ratios but is also to clearly give them the information that they need in this space especially with the delta variant currently I feel that there is it's, it's such a lost opportunity if someone chooses not to have a vaccine because they have not had a balanced discussion or been aware of the evidence-based um, recommendations around and why we recommend these. So I find that um, I usually start the discussion by actually asking women, what do they feel about it? And then, you know, obviously there's a whole spectrum of patients. There are those that will say, oh, look, I'm so happy I got this. And and, and you're like, yeah, clap for you, you know, fa- fantastic. So that's quite a, a safe space where you're actually congratulating them and and supporting their choices and then there are others that are 
unsure. And so then they will try and test what your thoughts are. And that's where I think the clinician role, and especially the GP specialist, because they have that advantage of longitudinal care with the women. They have that advantage of often having very solid trust that is already there between them and the patient that they can then capitalize on to try and get the information across. And then obviously, Francine, it's up to the woman to decide what she would like to do. But from my perspective, I try to acknowledge, first of all, that yes, we don't have long-term data. And yes, unfortunately, women were not included in the initial research trial. So it's good to not sugarcoat that and put that out the way it is. But then to say, look, with the current pandemic delta variant numbers that we have. And we know that although you're not more likely to get the COVID infection just because you're pregnant, we do know that if you're pregnant and you get it, then you're more likely to get hospitalized. You're more likely to need ICU care. You're more likely to get um, require ventilation. You're more likely to have an early birth, whether that's because of the infection or because your well-being needs to be, you know, needs to be prioritized by delivering you. And but that then exposes your baby to a, a preterm birth. And in some instances, Francine, it's actually really preterm, and that could significantly compromise the baby. And not to mention the risk of stillbirth that is higher in women who unfortunately get diagnosed with COVID. So I find that actually the discussion points are around rather than using that weakness of, oh my gosh, I might be exposing my baby to something, has to be turned around to say, listen, you will develop antibodies. The vaccine doesn't cross the placenta. The vaccine is broken down. mRNA vaccines are typically broken down quite quickly, but it's the response, which is such a positive thing for you and for your baby, which will cross the placenta and which will also be present in breast milk if that's relevant um, in the postpartum context. So that's what I find, Francine, that I try to, A, um, point them to resources, the written resources that are there to support us from ATAGI, from ACM, uh, Co uh, College of Midwives, RACGP, and also Ranskog. Um, I also try to engage why they might have hesitations and understand whether they truly, very, very rarely actually meet the criteria of you know, a contraindication. Otherwise, I try to put the general practitioner specialists in the driving seats as much as I can so that I can involve them in the decision making as well, but actively support the women to say, look, please have it. Don't have lost opportunity for either tragedy or a negative outcome that is so preventable. I guess one of the most common points, and you've made it very well, that patients may say, look, there's no long-term data available. But we are a few months behind in Australia, our vaccination compared to overseas. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about the kinds of tracking studies mm -hmm. that are happening overseas among pregnant women mm -hmm. who have been so vaccinated. Even that, even that side, Francine, I try to put it in a positive way because obviously it is a very difficult time for our community. And I feel that what we have in Australia is the advantage of the international data. So we do have the advantage. For example, the CDC has set up a really good um 
ability, a way to actually get information from pregnant women and also women who are postpartum or those that are intending to embark on a pregnancy is called a V-safe exercise. And this is, um, it's actually a connection with the patient through smartphones and works both for um, Androids and, and uh, Apple side of things. And basically, they have above 160,000 women that have they're able to access their their data in relation to their reproductive um, journeys. And they also have what is called a V-safe registry. So that's another concept in which they can, you know, get access to further information. And it's not only US-based. We also have from UK and Scotland more than 50,000 women that have, um, we have the data. So this is observational or surveillance data, but it's the next best thing. And the good thing is that the numbers that we have have not shown either any increased risk of miscarriage, any increased risk of teratogenicity or any congenital abnormalities in the babies that are born, in any um, increased you know, risk of small babies, for example. So a lot of the, the things that we fear have actually not been substantiated. And I think this is really a, an important message to get across both to to our community clinicians and also to the women that we look after that you know we have a very robust numbers now and yes these things can happen and that's the other point i think that's very important to make that there's a baseline rate of a miscarriage there's a baseline rate of babies that we will birth with unfortunately congenital abnormalities but this is not heightened just because you've taken the vaccine. If anything, it has actually put you in a position of strength from your own personal health journey and that of your unborn baby. Do you find that there is a difference between women who are planning on getting pregnant in the short to medium term versus women who are already pregnant and their acceptance of vaccines? Uh, good question, Francine. I think I've had a mixture of responses. I've certainly had a number of women say, look, I don't want, I want to wait till my my um, vaccination, you know, is, is actually completed. And I've said, look, my role is to tell you that from a purely from a from a medical perspective, we're saying, look, you don't need to wait for either the vaccine or to embark on the pregnancy. So from both parts of things, once you have the vaccine, you know, we're, we're saying you don't need to delay, consciously delay pregnancy, but I respect your individual decision to do that. And I think that your mental health, Francine, is just so much part and parcel of the journey. So no matter how much you reassure someone, if that person is going to still constantly think that, oh, why did I do this? Or if something happens that would have happened most likely anyway, then they might look back and think that, oh, what well, it was because of the vaccine. So at the end of the day, we have to respect the women's choices. But I think our role is to say you don't need to, but if you wish to, that's fine. Embarking on a pregnancy is a very elective space. And it should be when the woman and her partner or when she feels that she's ready to to make that next step. So, but when it comes to pregnant women, I think that I've heard more anxiety around waiting. And especially in the third trimester, I've had quite a few women say, oh, I'll just wait till after delivery. I'm already this many weeks. And that's where, Francine, I've had to, you know, say, again, it's your body, it's your decision. But my thoughts are that, you know, what if you got exposed? Oh, doctor, I don't go anywhere. I just stay at home. Yes, but your husband works, doesn't he? So then he might bring some Prezi home for you. So, you know, again, it's about getting them to think through that what they may perceive as very safe. Now, our safety standards or thresholds have really changed recently, haven't they, Francine? 
And I imagine also there's a new risk, at least in certain states of Australia now, as they move to live with COVID in the community, Mm -hmm. that even if you don't go anywhere and even if your partner works from home, there's a chance you could be exposed to COVID in the delivery room or when Yes, very good point. Yes, very good point. You've in fact reminded me many times in a practical sense, I will say to women, um, they'll be like, oh, I don't go anywhere. I said, but you have come to see me, haven't you? And we're having this conversation in my practice. And so that's one thing that will make them think, oh, okay, actually, yes, we're vulnerable when we, you know, in even circumstances that we might think are safe. And then secondly, I've asked them, Francine, in a practical sense, I'll be like, so how did you come to the practice? And then they think it's a silly question. They're like, oh, I used a car. And I'm like, but you and I both know people personally or we would have watched the news where things haven't gone well. Have you thought through that you don't want to use the car at all anymore? And then they'll be like, no. And so, again, I find that there are some analogies that can actually be conversation starters. And then, again, you just have to tactfully um, tread in that space where you're trying to get the best outcome for the women that you care for but also obviously don't want to be seen as too pushy and recently there's been you know the approval of a third dose for patients who are immunocompromised in Australia Mm -hmm. we know that sometimes two flu vaccines can be appropriate if a pregnancy goes across more than one flu season for example yes Do we know anything yet about COVID vaccines and evidence for waning immunity or a third dose being recommended Mm -hmm. anywhere in the world for pregnant women? Mm -hmm. So that's that's certainly not our first line. In the context in which this has come up is when there were healthcare workers, for example, that had earlier exposures because they were prioritised for the initial doses and now they're coming up and they may be pregnant. So in those contexts, yes, but not in a purely just because they're pregnant and so therefore maybe immunocompromised, so then let's give them a third dose. I'm not aware of that. Um, it may be that it is happening somewhere and I'm just not aware. But I guess the more common question um, for us I get asked is, I've had um, AZ done before I felt pregnant because I wasn't planning. And remember, half of pregnancies in Australia are generally not planned. Even now, unfortunately, our numbers are quite um, high in terms of unplanned pregnancies so then they will be like um so which one should i have now and the our college renscog has a a covid hub which has been quite helpful in terms of a source of information and basically they go ahead and say that you know you can actually have any of the three AZ, astrazeneca um, moderna or pfizer but we're still recommending that you consider the Pfizer or the Materna first. So even though it's a bit of mix and match, but because in general there's more safety data around the mRNA vaccines. So in that context, that's the advice that we're giving, um, which may differ slightly from UK-based advice or different advice, but I'm not very familiar about a third dose being recommended purely in the pregnancy context, except outside the healthcare worker um, journey. Talat, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Francine. Much appreciated. The Tea Room is brought to you by the reporters at the Medical Republic. Production assistance, the music and artwork for the show is produced by Victoria Nelson. Catch you next time.